Hey guys, welcome back to the Book Club podcast, where each month we read a classic or contemporary fantasy book, break it down, and try and see what we can learn from it. My name is David. My name is Laura. This one's a wee bit late, Laura, because yeah. I've had a busy few weeks. Look, I messaged David like at the end of last week and went, hey, are we recording this? Because I just remembered that yeah. we were meant to be recording I, this. I thought about it all week, and then ha- this is the first day I've had free in two weeks, and the only day I'll have free for the next three weeks. So I was like, better be better be today. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll, we, we're, we're going to make it happen. Um, and as you guys learned, if you listened to last uh, month's podcast, this week we're talking about uh, American Gods by Neil Gaiman. Dude, I don't even um, know what we're doing next month. Is it Gaiman or Gaiman? Oh, I'll Look. tell you at the end. I thought we'd, I think we're doing June at the for next month. Okay, cool. Yeah. So if you want to um, check it out uh, and read the book uh, for next month, um, I'm just double checking it is June. I'm pretty sure it's June. <laughs> um, it's loading. It's thinking about it, gang. Um, yeah, so we're doing June, uh, which is by Frank Herbert, um, and was originally published as like um, a series of stories in uh, magazines, but is actually a book in and of itself. So we'll be checking that out next month. So if you want to keep up to date and read the book, it's where you read it. That's the way Some to do it. Classic, classic yeah. sci-fi. I haven't, it. I haven't read it, so I'm cu- I'm curious yeah. to see what it's like. Yeah, I won't. Yeah, no, I won't say anything because mm-hmm. I don't. I don't want to color your opinions of okay. it. But I do have opinions. I'm excited. Um. So, American Gods is a 2001 novel by Neil Gaiman that blends fantasy, mythology, and history into an Americana road trip centered on the taciturn character Shadow. Taciturn. 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 I've written. T- I've written. I've literally written taciturn, and I meant taciturn. And my brain went, just read what's on the page, David, and it should be taciturn. But it's too late now. I don't even think taciturn's a word, but it's not showing up as red. Um, he's this kind of um, quiet, solemn, like, um, yeah, he's a really interesting character because you never learn a ton about him beyond, like, the other characters and the way they interact with him. Like, he doesn't tend to react back. Um, we can get into some of that and, like, names and all that kind of thing. Um, but first, we should get through the summary because it is quite a, a quite a. Ch- chunky one there is a lot a lot happens uh, yeah a lot of things i'm gonna skim over some of it just for for brevity but if you read the book this will just be a quick refresher for you so that um if you haven't read it recently you can kind of just go oh yeah that's what the story was um or if you haven't read it and you just want to see what our thoughts were then strap in shadow imprisoned for a violent crime is released a day early when his wife laura moon and his best friend robbie burton die in a motor vehicle accident During his journey to his hometown, Shadow meets a strange, slick con man named Mr. Wednesday. Mr. Wednesday convinces Shadow to work for him as his bodyguard, and the two travel across America together towards Shadow's hometown. As they agree on their terms of employment, they meet a leprechaun named Mad Sweeney. After beating Mad Sweeney in a fight, Shadow is gifted a gold coin, which later he throws into his wife's grave, inadvertently bringing her back as a living revenant of her former self. Shadow and Wednesday depart for their trip across America. Wednesday appears to be recruiting American versions of old gods, all of whose power is waning as they must compete with the new gods, representations of modern technology and modern life like media, internet, and connectivity. The new gods abduct and torture Shadow on Mr. Wild's instructions, but Laura kills Shadow's captors. Wednesday then decides to hide Shadow with the Egyptian gods of death, who run a funeral parlor, and then in the Great Lakes town of Lakeside. Shadow attempts to live in Lakeside, under the radar, participating in the yearly raffle where an old car is parked on the frozen lake, and the denizens of the town place bets on when the ice will melt and the clunker will fall. A little girl goes missing as Shadow arrives, and Shadow lends a hand in the search, ingratiating himself with the locals. Shadow's brief cover in Lakeside is ruined as remnants of his past surface in Lakeside, and, as he's hauled off to prison, Shadow watches live on television as the new gods murder Mr. Wednesday. The old gods, now galvanized by Wednesday's death, rescue Shadow, who is bound to hold Wednesday's vigil on the world tree. On the tree, as Shadow dies, he is visited by Horus and has visions of the great elephant god who tells him, it is in the trunk. Shadow dies, and in the land of the dead, he learns he is Wednesday's son, conceived as part of Wednesday's grand plan. Mr. Town is sent to the world tree, who cuts a branch from the tree, and as he travels back to Rock City, he meets Laura, whom he offers a lift. Horus finds Easter, convincing her to bring Shadow back to life, and the two resurrect Shadow from the tree. During his return, Shadow comes to understand that his old prison mate, Loki Lysmith, is Loki, the old god, and Loki and Odin have been running a two-man con for decades. Shadow realizes at this moment, the whole battle between between new and old gods is a setup to make Odin and Loki more powerful. 
At the same time, Laura and Mr. Town continue to Rock City, and Laura kills Mr. Town, stabbing him with the tree branch. Laura then meets up with Loki, confronting him, and stabs him with the branch as well, which quickly becomes a spear. Quick, quick, yes. quick thing. Laura doesn't stab Mr. Town with a tree branch. She's, oh, sorry. She, she kills him and takes neck. the branch. Yeah. My bad. Yeah. So she ta- she kills him and takes the branch. Yeah. Laura stabs Loki with the branch, um, which becomes a spear, and he is wounded during the confrontation. Laura, however, is also mortally wounded. Shadow finally arrives in Rock City and confronts the gravely wounded Loki and the ghost of Odin and begins to understand the depth of their plan. Shadow then journeys to the site of the battle, and explains both sides have nothing to gain, and that the fight itself is a setup. And he even goes so far as to say that America is a bad place for gods. The gods depart. Loki dies, and Odin's ghost fades, no longer powered by the battle to come. Laura asks Shadow to take the coin from her, and she finally dies. Shadow then returns to Lakeside, and taking the elephant's app taking the elephant god's apparition's advice, opens the trunk of the clunker on the ice to discover the missing girl. He's then confronted by Hinzelman, a kobold who sacrifices a child each year to keep Lakeside prosperous, and was, it turns out, responsible for keeping Shadow safe from the, from the other gods. Shadow begins to realize it was Hinzelman who caused his, hover, his cover to be blown, and with the help from the local sheriff Chad Mulligan, Shadow leaves Lakeside for good. Sometime later, in Iceland, Shadow meets another incarnation of Odin. Shadow then accuses the man of Wednesday's actions, but Odin explains it was his doing, but it was not him. Shadow offers Odin Wednesday's glass eye. Shadow then performs a simple coin trick which delights Odin, and then performs a small act of real magic, plucking a single gold coin from thin air, just as Mad Sweeney had taught him. It's a fucking wild ride, this book. Oh, yeah. And I skipped over, like, a lot, but... Dude, yeah. yeah. But how else do you summarize it? Because it just doesn't have, like, a natural structure. Yeah, definitely. And, like, the summary, like, skips over a lot of things that, like, when you're reading it, it's like, this is actual revelation, and you're like... So many small revelations. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Like, nothing... Well, there's a few ones that are like, oh, whoa, okay. Um, But, you know... Um, what I like about the, um, the sort of revelations in this mm-hmm. book, it's very much like, I definitely felt like I, I, like, they clicked in my head as they clicked for the character. Yeah, you never, f- like, I, and do you think that's just a, a mechanism of, like, Shadow is about as curious as you are? Well, like, he doesn't stop down to ask 27 questions. He's fairly accepting in the same way that as you're reading it, you're like, okay, he's out and I guess, and you move on. But then there's questions later on that get answered. Like, I don't know. I was trying to work this out for myself because Shadow is such a weird character to have as your protagonist. You reckon? Well, because he never really says much and like, he's pretty quiet. (laughs) Yeah. And like, I don't know. Did, did, what did you think reading through it? Like, were you, because you hadn't read this book before, had you? No, I hadn't. So what, like, what were your initial thoughts coming off the back of this? Because you only just finished it. Like, what did you think? Yeah, it was a, it was an interesting one. Um, a lot of it, um, like, I was impressed by, like, how well everything wrapped up and how I don't feel like there was anything resembling a loose thread left. Mm-hmm. Nothing, none of, like, the big questions that the novel, like, asked about any of, like, the events really went unanswered and that was good. Yeah. Um, but it's still, like, there's still enough ambiguity in it about gods and their place in the world and yeah. what's going to happen in the future with them that I think it's kind of leaves it in a good place. And would you like to see, like, would you go, go in for a sequel kind of thing? Well, not a sequel, but, like, would you want to see more of this world? Sure, yeah. Yeah, it's like, because I, I kind of have the same thing where, like, I guess, but, like, it's so, I think it's so well wrapped up that yeah. I kind of just go, well... Look, I probably don't need anything more about the gods of America, but, like, if yeah. you wanted to go into Europe or somewhere else, oh, that could be interesting. That'd be so interesting. There's a cut scene that um, is in the audiobook and the 10th anniversary collector's edition, I don't know if it's in yours or not, um, where it's, like, the scene that he, that... Neil Gaiman wrote where Shadow meets Jesus. Oh. It's really interesting, and I was like, I do want to see. I thought I thought I was done. I was like, yeah, I this this is a really self contained book. I really enjoyed it, and then I read that scene, and I went, oh. there's a short story at the back of this that I haven't read yet. Is that Wait. the Anansi Boys one? Um, Can't remember what it's called because I haven't read that yet. So there's the Monarch of the of the Glen, an American Gods novella at the back of this. Huh. I haven't 
read either of those. I, it'd be interesting to get into Well, those. no, it's called The Monarch of the Glen. It's a novella. Oh, as in a novella, not... Yeah, okay. Interesting. Hmm, okay. Yeah, it, it's... I, I was wondering about that when I finished it, because I've read this before this particular reading. Yeah. Um, And it's the kind of book, it's like any good mystery, where you read it a second time and yeah. you suddenly see everything. So so know? which version did you read? I read because... the... T- I read the c- so the first time I read it, I read the original printed copy. Uh-huh. And then this, this time when I read it, I read the expanded... 10th anniversary yeah. definitive edition. So, so that's what this one is. Okay, so um, you probably read the same. So I read the original text in the first instance and then that one this time. They're not hugely different. It's just that the expanded text has a lot more of the kind of slower moments that yeah. get cut out for editing's sake. So like yeah. um, a lot of the lakeside stuff is way shorter in the original. Oh, okay. Which is kind of interesting because I think that that lakeside ending where you realize that the um, Hanselman has been ritually sacrificing yeah. these kids. Yeah. That for me, I was like... Oh, suddenly, like, Lakeside makes sense and his yeah. deal with Wednesday and then the reason that the woman, it, you know, shows up yeah. and all that stuff. I think it definitely works with the the le- length of time spent in Lakeside. I didn't find that it dragged for me at all because in between all the sleepy Lakeside stuff, he's mm-hmm. he's still, like, there's still, like, in the background, the stuff with Wednesday and he's going off and talking to And they to go to, like, Vegas or whatever. And whatever, and yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and just from the fact that, like, you get to know Hinzelman a bit as, like, this old man. Yeah, and you, I think you can kind of sense, too, that, like, there's always this undercurrent, and maybe it's just going back to it this time, I don't know if it was the case the first time, but there's always an undercurrent of, I, he's he's really nice, but I never quite trusted him, and, like, I don't know if that's just because this time I'm reading it, I know that he's, you know, a, a bad guy or whatever, but... I don't know. There was an undertone of just, like, he... Yeah, he was nice, but in that kind of way where I'm like, he must have done some shit. Like, there's some bodies in the basement <laughs> kind of thing, you know? Literally. Literally bodies in the, well, bodies in the trunk, at least. Yeah. Um. What, okay, so what did you think of, and we'll talk about Shadow and stuff in a minute, and then we'll get to the naming, but what did you think of, like, the... Like, this book structure, when you're reading it, and this is, so, this is one of Neil Gaiman's first books that came out and got, like, a ton of praise mm-hmm. and awards, but then was, like, super polarizing. Like, people that, like, his fans either loved it or they hated it with a passion. Yeah. They were like, this is the worst thing he's ever done. It's nonsense. There's no structure whatsoever. Blah, blah, blah. And I, when I first finished it, I was like, oh, maybe they're right. Like, there isn't a lot of structure to it, but I still really enjoyed it. Going back this time, I can see the five-act structure. It's just so fragmented and interestingly put together that, like, it, I think when you're reading it, you're so caught up in the moment-to-moment of Shadow's life that you don't kind of, you're like in a normal book where you're like, well, when are they going to get to the final battle? Like, this yeah. whole thing feels like it's, even though it's building to that confrontation, the confrontation isn't the point. Right, like exactly. Like, the road trip feels like it's the point. Yeah, it's, yeah, the more, like, you always have that, like, shadow in the back. <laughs> shadow. <laughs> um, you you always have that thing looming, like, oh, shadows can feel like there's a storm coming, and yeah. you know that that's ha- going, sorry, going to happen at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, the point is sort of shadow trying to live his life and get through this just alive. one day at a time yeah exactly yeah we'll get through it like at least sane in some way if you right. can um i so we were talking about shadow's character before we started recording and i wanted to kind of delve into that a little bit because he is the protagonist of the book but he doesn't really say much um i think if you had shadow as like a Harry Potter type or um, like the protagonist from Neil Gaiman's Stardust, like characters that demand explanations when things are weird or things happen, mm. right? I think it would feel like really canny and weird if every time something weird happens, he was like, what's going on? Like, and like yeah. interrogated that. It would almost be comical. Yeah. And maybe, and maybe that's why he feels like he belongs in this world because he is so disengaged and he is, and like, yeah. as Laura points out, she's like, well, he never really lived, you know, and that's because he's yeah. not that curious and he's not he's not energized or engaged. And I wonder if you know, you I, I wonder if a sequel with this shadow that we get at the end of the book would even work at all, because he's this kind of activated, aware person. You know, he's he's kind of got these ha- these half god powers where he can push thoughts into people's minds and you know, like I, I wonder if that would be like a way less interesting story if it was told from like that kind of character's perspective, or mm. if it's made by Look, I think know, um like of course of course shadow is a bit special in the way that he can do things like he can make it snow and stuff but mm-hmm. um i think it definitely works that in this 
story all about gods and stuff, the person that is sort of the protagonist and ends up, quote unquote, saving the day mm-hmm. is this almost completely normal guy, right? Yeah. Yeah, he's is for intents and purposes a, just a dude. Right. And he even points out, like, during that last monologue that he has, um, where he's like, humans don't give a shit about you guys. Like, this is all you just creating your own problems. Like, if you just focused on yourselves and go back to where you're from, none of this would be happening. And, like, I'm like, yeah, that's, like, the that's like a natural... You wouldn't have that if you were in that, that god kind of world. Right. But then I think what's interesting is the cultural heroes and the land act as, like, the the opposite of that, where Shadow's kind of, like... If if we want to put this on like a political spectrum in inverted commas, the gods are like on one side, the earth and or the land and the cultural heroes are on the other, and Shadow is like dead center, mm. where he's kind of both, where he's like kind of half god and he's like kind of this cultural hero to the gods themselves because they think he's really important, even though like he kind of isn't. Like he might be Wednesday's son, but he's just a guy, really. Right. You know, they think he's important because they think he's important to Wednesday. Yes, and which he is, but only because Wednesday made him. Like he, he the, right. There's an interesting and notion only because, that. and also only because Wednesday wants him to be important because he wants him to be a distraction. What's the the um like with the coin tricks when Shadow's right. explaining Shadow to the kid? Shadow is a coin. Shadow's literally a coin. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that's so interesting. And Laura Moon, Shadow Moon, and the coin that he's given by um, uh, Polish Shitsnaya. I can never say her name properly, but the the sleeping Russian yeah. god. Um, that's the moon. She gives Shadow the moon. Ah, there's something there. I don't know what the symbolism <laughs> there is saying, but like you know, look, she, there's something. She gives him this coin that's the moon, and it's beautiful, and people look at it. And it's the thing that he always keeps returning to, where it's got this focus, and he uses it to show people tricks. And it's sh- his name is Shadow Moon, and Wednesday creates this shadow distraction, this pretty thing that everyone thinks is important, like the moon, but it's not really the moon, right? The moon's always going to be there, like it doesn't matter. So maybe that's like there's there's kind of some kind of there's something there. I don't know what, but. Yeah. There's some intangible like relationship between those symbols where Shadow is himself the distraction, but in being so he's able to like at the end of the book like you get to see that he is a shadow like because he was he was designed to be a distraction. Right. There's nothing substantive about him. You know, Laura is like well you never really lived and like everyone in his life kind of kind of treats him like he doesn't really exist. So maybe that's what they're trying to say. It's like, if you make a big, big, pretty distraction, the thing that you make the distraction of when the distraction's over is just able to fade away into the background. And that's what Shadow does. And until that's... the distraction, like, thwarts all your plans, you know? Yeah, until the Shadow steps into the into the light or into the center of things and makes themselves known. Yeah. And then they can fade away again. And maybe, I mean, yeah, it's interesting that Gaiman called him Shadow. Yeah. Um, because even you said, like, we don't find out Shadow's name, but he gives away the name Shadow. Was that, what What did you think when, because you know when he's when he's dying, he go, he yeah. like, gives away his name. What did you think that meant? Because I'm still trying to unpack that. I don't know. Um, there's something, maybe there's something there about Shadow never really taking ownership of his name, but then, because he, he never gives his real name. No. Um, and he never really takes ownership of it, but then he still feels a sense of loss when it's gone. Yeah. and. Maybe that's him, because my running theory is that this is just a really complicated coming of age story where, <laughs> where <laughs> probably yeah, <laughs> probably is because it's Neil Gaiman and that's everything he does is. But like, there's a there's a you know when he's a kid and he's um he just well he, uh, I can't think of it I think it might be when he's dead and he's reliving memories of his mother's yeah uh, sickness. It talks about like how. You know, he was always the kid that blended into the background. He was never present. Then he got yeah. big and they couldn't bully him anymore. But he still wasn't. Like, he still wasn't himself, because they all thought he was big and dumb, but he was secretly, like, reading, and he was a smart guy. Um, and when he was an adult, everyone just viewed him as, like... Everyone still views him as, a big views dumb him as big and dumb throughout the entire book. Constantly. Like, constantly people are like, oh, you're smarter than you look. And they're like, like, he's a big fella, you know, whatever it is. But he's yeah. really quite quite switched. And, like, he's he reminds me a lot of Roland from the Dark Tower series, where he's smart, but he's not, like, a genius. Right. Like, he, he may not be the top of his class, but he gets there in the end. Yeah. Probably, like, the person reading. <laughs> Reminds me of myself. Um, yeah, he's he's interesting, though, because in that way, you know, his name is as being Shadow is, like, that's what he was as a kid. That's where he got the nickname from. Right. Her, her, the adults around him would just call him Shadow because he would follow the adults around. And all he does this whole book is follow Wednesday around. And then yeah, at the actually. very... at the Yeah, right? Like, that's... Yeah. Then at the very end... 
It's when he kill, like when he sacrifices his name, when he sacrifices his old self, his shadow, that he's allowed to live and he's allowed to go to the Thunderbirds or whatever they're called, the the um the light the rocks like the lightning birds, and he yeah. they you know they're a symbol for resurrection and he resurrects the person that he could have been the whole time and he takes ownership of himself. There's some really interesting symbolism there with it took his father to die for him to be able to like. A father he never knew he had because his mother was sick right. to step out of the shadow of his mother. Oh, and she would never tell him either. No. And there's... Why would you tell your son that you were the product of some weird one night stand with yeah. him? Yeah, by some weird grift old yeah. dude. Yeah, there's a lot of weird yeah. stuff about that. Yeah. Um, but that'll yeah. come. We can talk about that with the fascism stuff and how creepy it is. But, um, <laughs> yeah, definitely. Oh, it's God. real weird. Wednesday it, is so creepy. Such a creep. Um, have you seen the TV show? No. It's, he they they have um, Ian McShane play Wednesday, and it's like the perfect casting because mm. he's just he's like suave and cool and old, but like a bit creepy all the time. It's great. Um, yeah, that's something that's interesting though. Like maybe there's some connection between all of that. I can't quite put it together in my head, but there's definitely like something in that aspect of his name seems super important, and then he gives it away, and he's able to like like yeah reclaim himself or reclaim like his true self or something because even like the gods you know wednesday hides the fact that he's odin for a while because he goes what's my name day and he's kind of really like you know he's very theatrical so he saves that until it like suits his purpose to tell him until like he's literally like in his mind thing yeah, and that, there's a kind of double vision where they all see, where he's able to shadow kind of sees. He sees them. all the aspects of the different gods. Yeah, what did you think of like the? Because um, typically when Gaiman does something like this, like his fantasy stuff, like Stardust or like Ocean at the End of the Lane, um, he never like he'll he'll invent his own mythology, whereas this is like entirely based yeah. on everything else. What did you think of like all the god stuff? Like, was that something that you were really interested in? Or? Well, yeah, I mean, I just wish I knew more about some of the different mythologies um, that yeah. comprise it, because there's a lot of stuff that I was not familiar with at all. And so. you just didn't, like, get... Yeah, I, I kind of had the same well, thing. Yeah, I mean, like, it's still enjoyable to read, but I would like to sort of read up about some of the different mythologies that were sort of Maybe want to find out stuff and be like, yeah. what are the, you know, like Chernobyl. Maybe want to research mythology. Yeah, I was like, what's Chernobyl's deal? Why is there a Beelzebub? Why is, why is he coming in? Why is he a different season? Like, yeah. all that stuff. I was like, what is that about? Yeah. Yeah, it's really interesting. What's with the three ladies at different ages? It's a very So weird, yeah. But it's like but, morning, yeah. uh, midday Afternoon, and evening night, or whatever. Yeah. yeah, and there's, yeah, there's so much stuff about that that I'm like, what? what's, how's that all going in the God space? And yeah, yeah. I thought the last one might have been Hecate, the goddess with three faces or something but that's Maybe. that was three goddesses though so i don't know something man. like that anyway i i think okay so you have that great sequence with um the gods of the egyptian gods of death where they're in the funeral parlor and they kind of mm-hmm. they that that's the point in the story where shadow realizes that like i, I try, I try i'm trying to like decompact like de- uh, deconstruct and unpack what that sake like what that sequence actually does for the story because when shadow dies he has familiar faces around him right and he's able to then transition into the thing he wants which is like mm-hmm. to let go forever or whatever but what i can't look out is like why gaiman has shadow spend that time with them like like I, I can't quite like put it all together in my head as to like why that serves the themes or the narrative or anything like for him to spend that time there and what? I don't, well, so you know, he he's attacked by the um, uh, uh, the like conspiracy theory, uh, like the men, the black coats kind of people who are like the manifestations of mm-hmm. all the conspiracy theories America has about itself. Yeah, um, like Mister Town and yeah, and yeah. you know, run by Mister World, Mr. obviously. Mister Wood and Mister yeah, whatever the fuck. Mister Stone and you know they're run by Mister World, who's like the American idea of like the conspiracy theory of like everyone's out to get America. Except he's, he's really. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Because it's like someone fucking with you because none of it's real. Um, but what I can't work out is like you know he gets he gets thugged on by these kind of black coats and then escapes and is forced to hide yeah. out with um, uh, the the Egyptian gods um, of death and help them with this funeral parlor. And like I can't work out like why they pick like why did Gaiman pick the the Egyptian gods of death and why a funeral like why that sequence was it just so that when Mad Sweeney died like. It was surrounded by death already. Like I can't quite work out. I mean, maybe what purpose that serves. Um, I don't know. There is sort of a 
theme of death kind of running through this book a little bit, especially mm-hmm. with L- Laura and the way that she's pretty much a zombie this the entire novel. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, as a shadow to some extent, as she points out, right? There's right, pat- but in a different way. Different way, but, you know, revenant of their f- of what they could be, I guess. Right. But do you think, I don't know, I just can't work out like that, that whole funeral sequence scene. Like, I really like it. Like, I think it's really good, but... I can just every time I re- like the both times I've read this book, I've gone, why that here? Like he could have done anything else with the gods he put into the story. Like it could have been like that's when you could have met a Nazi and you could have had like a sequence where you get closer with him. But it's just with those two characters that never show up again. I guess is it planting Horus as the absent figure because he's the Maybe. third, the third brother or whatever, isn't he? Or the uh yeah. Well, the they they say stuff about how Horus and Bast are sort of. Off like in their cre- like, yeah. off in their like creature forms. A but lot. Bast is the cat, right? In yeah. the house, yeah, yeah. She occasionally turns human and yeah, and has weird dream sex. I yeah. don't know what that was about. Yeah, yeah, very. And strange. then thereafter is kind of obsessed with Shadow and gets cats to follow him around okay. so she can spy on him. I wonder what Bast. I'm going to quickly Google Bast and see what her deal is because I feel like there must be something related to her as like a. Well, god. I mean. The Egyptians did worship cats, so of course they had a god with the head of a cat. But why would she be obsessed with Shadow, though, is what I'm trying to work out. Like, mm. it's, it just seems like an odd choice, because he's not really anyone. Cats um, chasing shadows? Uh, yeah, that's good. Okay. I like that a lot. That's cute, actually. I really <laughs> like that. Actually, that would make fucking total sense. That's such a good reading, Laura. Holy crap. Yeah, cats. that's fucking great. Like, of course. God, I'm trying to overthink it. It's like, no, nah, it's just Neil Gaiman was like, fucking Catherine Shadow. Yeah, that'll do. That's great. Yeah. Oh, that's that's good. And like America's full of proverbs. So maybe that's just like as part of her build up as the American version of that god. She's like embedded with those proverbs. Because fucking Wednesday spouts. She them. fucking turns into a fucking house cat. It's so weird. And then they fuck, and I'm like, I don't know if I, I don't know what I think about this. <laughs> I don't know yeah, what I think weird. about this. It's weird. It is very weird. He seems weirded out by it, though, so yeah, I'm, like, totally cool with it. Like, the... everyone's weirded out by it. I just don't know that a man should fuck a cat lady. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> and if, if that's what you're into, go go for it. Go nuts. But, you know, it's it's very odd. Um, <laughs> it also seems to imply that, like, because we see Wednesday fuck constantly, because that's how he yeah. gets, like... I, I don't understand his relationship with young women as far as, like, how that fuels him. Yeah. Like, because you know how he's, like, fueled by, like, death or, or like, sacrifice? Yeah. Is it Maybe is it it's, youth? like, sacrificing virgins and stuff, but, like... Oh, that's why he always picks young women. Oh, that's way grosser than I thought it was. <laughs> it is already gross, because he, uh, says, he already says that he likes virgins. Yeah, uh, I did never connected the dots between that and, like, the power that he would get back from it. Yeah. Ugh, okay, I feel a little bit gross now. That might be a good time to talk about how gross Odin is in Wednesday. He is super gross. Ugh. He's not a nice man. No. Okay, let's get it. I want to get into the meat of, like, the research that I've done for Odin and, like, Wednesday and, like, the kind of the kind of character that he is and, like, what it kind of tells us about Gaiman's view of America. Um... So Odin is like a stand-in for religion in a lot of ways, or he's a stand-in for belief in like the most literal sense. Wednesday ends up becoming the manifestation of like slowly corrupted belief and right. stuff. He's like belief that like requires sacrifice of like bloody sacrifice. Well, there isn't I mean the implication of any faith, I guess, because belief is just like you think something's true, but faith right. is. The denial of obs- yeah, faith is the denial of observation, so that belief can be preserved. You stole that from Tim Minchin. It's a Tim Minchin quote yeah. from Storm. Yes. Um, and one of the things that what what that means for someone like Wednesday is that he has to constantly be producing a better version of reality than is available to you with your powers of critical observation. Right. Um, and in that way, he practices um, fascist tendencies and thoughts that. Like, I'm not saying that anyone in the story is a fascist, but more just I want to explore this idea that, like, he is a great manifestation and representation of a tendency America has that a lot of places don't. Um, And I think we'll get to some definitions in a second, because I think it's important to define what we're talking about. But modern discourse really often confuses fascism with fascists and also fascists with totalitarianism and stuff like that yeah so let's i just i'm gonna nail down what fascism means a proper definition or like a classical definition at least that 
is what the idea means, not what the word means, if that makes sense. Fair enough. Um, so in its purest form, fascism focuses on the promise of rebirth through obfuscation. So obfuscation. Yeah, I can never fucking say it right. <laughs> I've been, I've been, I've got like two degrees, but I can't fucking say that word properly. Um, and this idea is like that that you propose a pr- uh, an alternative truth to what's available. Right. And like in the classical sense, this is usually like a national rebirth. And national refers to like a group, not a country. So in um, in uh, Wednesday's sense, the national rebirth is like if the old gods can just defeat the new gods, they'll have like they'll 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 make you know the gods great again or whatever yeah. it is you know. And the way this is done, typically through fascist thinking, is by shaping thoughts from being rational into being purely semiotic. That keep that keeps fucking falling out. Um, into being purely semiotic. So the symbols and the promises and like the the dreams and the ideology and this like this this uh, manifestation of of the, the future, this golden future that we can reclaim, takes over rational thought. Um, and they, it tends to focus on valorizing heroics and militarism, as Wednesday yeah. does. Where he's interestingly like, enough, um, probably the only time that anyone mentions what the gods are actually fighting over would mm-hmm. be the fat kid in one of the interludes where he says something about there not being enough belief to go around, which is bullshit, to be yeah. honest. Uh, the, the Techno Boy is one of my favorite characters, and we'll come back to, we'll come back to him because he is crucial in this allegory of like America as like a fascist <laughs> society. Mm-hmm. Um, so some quick offhand examples just for like what this this rebirth mythology looks like in real life um uh during pinochet's rule of chile he proposed like um the miracle of chile and the chicago boys um you obviously had like the great third empire or the third reich which was adolf hitler's um and you have like uh donald trump with make america great again where it's promising um uh, a renewal of a golden age that never really happened. Yeah, and it's it's this, this. It's a very nebulous promise too. And it's but that's the, yeah, it has to be nebulous because then it like then you go well if you, you it's, like what it's, does it's it irrational. mean to make America great again? Like what, it means to have... it means to do what do to 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 valorize heroics and, like, and, to, and to do what I say. When to... when was it great? Like they never answered this. Well, it was it was great when people were better and things were more pure and 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 we and we and we had these beliefs. Capitalizes on the tendency. Of people to look back at things in the past and think of them as being rosier. Yeah, rose into glasses. And there's, right. there's a, yeah. And like, oh, like, because they only see like the good parts. Like, um, oh, like 80s music was so good because they remember all the famous stuff, but they forget about all the shit that they didn't want to listen AIDS to. Or whatever. Like, yeah, they don't focus on. But then there's a, there's a quote from Bojack Horseman, which is um, when you're wearing rose tinted glasses, Red flags just look like flags, like, so, which is, <laughs> yeah. I think, exactly how it works. Um, some other quick features of fascism that Mr. That Mr. Wednesday participates in before we get into the analysis. Um, and so these features of fascism aren't about fascists. They're about fascist, like, tendencies. Um, so fetishization of youth, like, we talked about that just before. Like, he's constantly preying on young women. Mm. Um, and, like, he's, he, he's always, like, calling Shadow, like young man and my boy and all that kind of thing like yep which mm-hmm. and he's all like the reason that he takes the virgins in the way that he does is because he claims it keeps him young it's real weird um not th- that he's young in the first place no but like the idea that like it, it makes him feel it makes his he's, he's some line about and i wish i'd written it down but he's like it makes my blood hot again or something like it, yeah. it gives him like vigor or vent. and like that one time before he goes to have sex with that virgin like Shadow shakes his hand and it's cold, and he's like, Oh, your hand's really cold. Yeah. And he's like, I gotta warm my blood up or whatever. Yeah, it's yeah, really it's creepy. Um, there's the fetishization of typically masculine traits. So, uh, everyone in this story is constantly remarking on like how strong a big shadow is, and they're like, mm. um, they, they only ever comment on like his physical appearance. The only character that doesn't, um, is, uh, Bass. Uh, I, am I saying that? It's, how do you say that? The cat. Bast. I think they just say Bast, Bast. or something. Yeah. I don't know. Um, she she went the the reason that it was interesting. The reason that she in the book at least claims to be like interested in him to have sex with him is that like he's really interesting and he has like a lot of like emotional depth and thought in him. And I'm like, okay, yeah. Like mm-hmm. she's the only one that like moves past that fetishization of masculinity. Yeah. Um, the interesting part about the fetishization of shadows like 
big bulky masculinity. Mm-hmm. He pretty much never uses it throughout the entire book. So, you know, he gets he has all this shit happen to him and he doesn't even like throw a punch. Right. But the the, the, the and the truth is like that masculine tendency is what got him into prison in the first place and what got yeah. him into this fucking situation. And so he's he's learned from that. He knows that like just keep my head down. Keep yeah, do your own time. Right. Um, the the other thing which is directly related to that is the valorization of violence with a means like with with an end in mind, not the means in mind. Which so like Wednesday as a character and as a god literally feeds off death, and the whole book is about him creating this really complex like valorization of his own death you know they they go to the well tree they take the spear and loki's gonna dedicate it to odin and it's gonna basically like make wednesday you know this all the more powerful like the 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 whole book is centered around odin valorizing his own death and this violence and this battle and this bloodshed and this chaos um it's a really typical tendency of fascism. You see that with like literally every fascist regime ever. There's always like, uh, you know, the, the labor camps or the gas chambers or um, like Pinochet he used to like push people out of helicopters. Like whatever the violent thing is, you can do to shock people into action. That's what they do. Um, the lost golden age syndrome, which we talked about before, where it's like the old days were better, like make America great again or whatever it is. Um, and then definition by opposition. Where you identify your regime based on someone else's mm. in opposition to, and in this instance, Odin doesn't st- like Wednesday stands for nothing in this story. Exactly, he just stands yeah. against the old gods. Yeah, um, and that well, interestingly with the old gods against the new ones. Sorry, you, yes, with the new god. Sorry, with the old gods against the new ones. I'm gonna do my head in. Even though the old gods kind of hate him, they kind of hate him, but they they see like he proves the. But they point. call him the old father, and they like. Well, he's old they enough. Respect him. He's wise. He's the guy who. He's the George. He knows stuff. He's George Bush Jr. You go. They, they I trust, trust him, you. Yeah. Even though he's kind of like a lying shit. But but then you know the reason they trust him is he's got that theatricality and that charisma. Um, has these elaborate speeches where he talks about you know these these uh, particularly to Shadow where he's, he talks about like, these these elaborate two man cons and yeah. Um, this this golden age where it was the gods thrived in America and we had this beautiful life where we were, you know, we, oh God, I we, we took and we, and we, we, you know, and yeah, it's, I can see it. it's that kind of, and you can slowly like, now that you kind of think about it, like, can you start to see yeah, like, I can see it. You can see when Trump, you know, does these things and he says these things and it's like, uh, yeah. it's a slippery, yep. like fascism is such a slippery slope. And you know, this fascist ideology that he proposes it, it it seeps into the old gods because they go, well, I do feel tired. I do, f-. And, you know, Chernobyl is a great example where he's backed against a wall because he's not Beelzebub. And Beelzebub is the, is the springtime. He's the, he's the life. He's the vigor. He's the spring cleaning. Yeah. So, of course, Chernobyl is like, well, like, you know, my apartment's dark. It's damp. The food's bad. I'm tired. It's unpleasant. Whose fault is it? It's the old, it's, it's the new gods. It's not the old gods. We're, we're being attacked. And, um, you know, you see Mr. Wild orchestrating that to an extent where he's sort of... Um, and Mr. Wild is Loki, right? I'm not misreading that whole oh, yeah, situation. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he is so he's, clearly Loki. Yeah, so he's orchestrating... You know, he forces the Techno Boy to kill um, Beaquus and, like, what is ends that, up... Is that how you um, pronounce that? That's how they say it in the audiobook, but I don't know. Oh, I... How would you say it? I... I don't know. I, it's in the audiobook they say Beerquist, but it's an American guy doing the voice acting yeah. for it. Um, I think that possibly. I wish that yeah in the in the audiobook they call it Beerquist, but who knows? But like the fact that like you know that he convinces the techno boy to run her down in his limo. Well, yeah. I mean, the, it's sort of partly the techno boy being hopped up on his own importance, being like, yeah, we gotta take out all of these. Yeah. Well, he's he's so interconnected at that point, and the, well, I, I want to close with that in a bit where we. I, I want to talk about like what Neil Gaiman thinks of technology. And, yeah. Like, what did you think of Techno Boy being cursed then by Bilquis? Or I guess she's the Queen of Sheba. It it didn't. I didn't take that seriously as a curse, and I didn't connect his death with that. I connected his except death. He well, he did definitely feel it. What was what was the curse again? Remind me. I don't think it was anything in specific. She just kind of cursed him. Um, it it, and it felt like, like she cursed him to 
think critically or so like I it, mean it... he was troubled after that point and there was the point where they were in that weird hotel at the center They're in the middle of America yeah, yeah. and it's well, like the out. nighttime and he's freaking out in the bedroom I think maybe that's that's a symptom more of when you when when something modern and you destroy something that is an institution um it can't come back from that destruction I think that was maybe like not even a metaphor but like literally he kills this Egyptian kind of representation of like sex and, and fertility. Um, and there's an argument too, that he's, he represents connectedness and like the fast paced modern world. Yeah. And there's an argument that a lot of scholars have, which is that that kind of fast paced modern world is slowly killing sexual attraction and reproduction because we don't like, there's no oh, longer a requirement to have sex. You can just get your porn or you can get your fix wherever you yeah. want. So I mean, people still have sex. They still have sex. Like, you have Tinder, but, but it's not, like, meaningful sex in that sense. That, well, there's a, you know, she has these people worship her. Right. right? And that's that's an unhealthy, that's, again, that's, like, not a healthy kind of no. version of a relationship. However, no. there's something interesting in killing the worship altogether means that you, in the act, kill the related things that are good. And I think maybe Gaiman's trying to say that, like, regardless of whether you're an old god or a new god, like or you you like the old style or the new style, whatever it is your preference is, killing something off completely means that you lose touch with how it started. And that can be as damaging as if you let it run rampant. Which is kinda interesting. Like I think this whole book's message and we'll touch I wanna wrap up with that at the end, but like it really is a is a message of like centralism. It's not be, you know, right or left or be like neo or neoliberalism or like conservatism. Don't be like, you know, um, f- you know, nostalgic, don't be, like, too ready to move forward. Like, Shadow is, like, the perfect middle. Which is interesting, because Shadow and the Techno Boy are the only two people that don't participate in the fascism of the story. Mm. In Shadow's instance, he remains insulated because he's curious, but he also believes everything immediately. So, whereas fascism requires you, as we, with the Tim Minchin quote, you have to, like, um, you deny what you're looking at and then you preserve your faith, right? Yeah. Shadow believes literally everything and goes, yeah. well, why don't I have no reason not to? The the interesting thing there is that when um when Wednesday asks him why he's so ready to believe everything, mm-hmm. he his answer isn't that oh, I've seen all this amazing stuff, of course I'm going to believe it. His answer is that he can believe anything since he learned about his wife cheating on him. Yeah. What do you think that means for the story, then? Or for the the themes, I guess? I think it definitely says something about Shadow's character and that um, his dead wife is more important um, or sort of a bigger part of Mm -hmm. his existence than... All of this crazy god shit. Right. And then do you think that when he comes back to life at the end and she's like, and he lets her die, that's him accepting that like this part of like this chapter or who I was is now dead and I can move on. I think it does represent a certain kind of acceptance, definitely. Yeah. Like him letting go of her and sort of the idea of her as well, because she wasn't really her. No, she was a, like a revenant or like a kind of... Like, she looked like her and she talked like her, but she didn't have her emotions. And that's kind of sort of what she was getting at when she talked about how Shadow wasn't really alive. Mm-hmm. Um, like, she wasn't alive and she didn't really feel anything. Um, huh. It's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. There's a lot of that in this book where you go, there's so many parallels. Right. I think it's kind of meant to be like that. Yeah, it's Gaiman, so um, probably nothing's on accident. Yeah. Oh, it's like, you know, Shadow buys this random freaking library book with, um, like, council notes <sighs> in it. And that's how he works out that Hanslem. Ah, oh, dude, that, that twist. It's that's so crazy. good. That's so like because at the time you're like, oh, he's bored. He's got nothing to do, and you're like, what's going to be in there? And it's nothing. And then at the end, when he's in the fucking police station, he's like, that's weird that that like these these girls. And then there's no time to investigate it because something else yeah. happens. And he's and I'm like w- rereading it. I was like, oh fuck, that's so smart. Mm. It's it's everything in this book connects you back to the the 
the narrative of Wednesday's plan. Like, he plants everything so carefully. Mm. Um, it's, yeah, it's honestly kind of amazing. It's 99% of a writer's difficulty is making sure that everything that's in the exposition, like, you can read the first... Literally, like, the first chapter, um, he talks about his cellmate, Low Key, mm -hmm. and you're like... Now, that's kind of a weird name for a dude. But it's prison, so maybe it's a nickname. Yeah. You don't really think about it. And then it's like, Loki. Yeah, Low you, go, key. you go, it was in front of me the whole time. Like, literally, I could have worked it out any time. But, but it's sleight of hand. You don't notice it. Yeah. Because it's been there the whole time. Yeah, and, and yeah. Pro probably also because Shadow has like a weird nickname too. You're like, yeah, these guys just have nicknames. Well, but Shadow's the distraction, right? So he's right. a distraction from all of that. This book works even on a meta level, man. That's fucking great. Where you're like, that's so... But like, yeah, he's the distraction. We go, Shadow's a weird fucking name. You don't think about Loki Lie Smith. Loki Lie Smith. You don't think about yeah. it because you're like, Shadow's a fucking weird name. What's this guy's real name? You know, like, that's 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 so cool. I didn't even notice that before. It's fucking nuts. Dude. The, even, like, the names are a part of that sleight of hand trick. And maybe that's what Neil Gaiman's trying to say about America, maybe, is that it's all just, you know... Yeah. People moving stuff around, distracting you with different things. And that's, you know, what the government does, and that's what Wednesday does, and that's what, like, that, that it's, it's, it's inherently a place where faith fails because what faith does is give people, like, hope and meaning and stuff like that. And in America, faith is, like, twisted and belief is twisted into this, like, tool, or it's, like, a means to an end. And the, the one person who doesn't participate in it, the techno boy... Like at the end, like he he's so quick to adapt and he's so plugged in that he realizes um that they don't need to fight at all. And like there's there's room enough right. for both of them. And then he gets killed for it. And it's like Neil Gaiman like saying, Yeah, if you're that person in America, you're fucked. Like right. you're the first one to go. He literally gets sacrificed to Odin. Yeah, it's fucked up where they're like, Well, you were too reasonable, so we're gonna sacrifice you to the kind of of like the all father, the person who who's gonna lead us into a glorious yeah. future. Um and, you know, this book is written in 2001, right? And mm. that's that's Dude. Bush's year. Um, it's Bush Jr.'s year. And it, it makes you wonder, like, these themes yeah. aren't about Trump and they're not about, like, Trump's America yeah. and they're not about Hitler. But it's, like, fascist thinking and fascist tendencies are, like, they, they, we do them all, we all do them every day, which is, like, you disregard something that you know in favor of, like, some brighter version of the future and, and you yeah. we all take part in these tendencies but it's interesting to me that like reading a book like this helps you better identify the way like the tendencies you you have yourself but then also like look at the world as a whole and be like yeah. okay maybe this like maybe it's not maybe it's not about trump maybe it's about america or maybe it's about like i mean the book is very much about america oh, as, yeah, a, as a as a as a nebulous <laughs> Like, th like people, like people believe in the land, but the land doesn't care, right? Hmm. Docs is always there in his dreams; doesn't give a shit if you believe in him or not, right? Right? And the culture heroes don't give a shit if you believe in them or not; they're still just culture heroes. Right. So it's something to that where it's like the land will endure because it doesn't need you to believe in it, but the people who are there, the people that have gone to America looking for this promise of the American dream, this future of. A world where, or or this American dream now, where it's like it never existed, where it was like this opportunity and there's there's bountiful money and wealth and it's a beautiful country. They go there looking for that that faded golden age that never happened. Mm. And you know, in the story, you have these gods who peddle this I, the same ideas, but the land goes. I don't care. I'm still going to be here. And it's only until Shadow becomes so interested in the gods at the end when he goes in search yeah. of Hinzelman that the land betrays him and they, they, they turn the, it turns the back on him and it's like, well, look, like, none of this fucking matters. You're wasting your time. <laughs> what do you think... Um, here's, here's a thought that I had mm -hmm. um, towards the end of the book while I was reading it. Um, so in this world, this is a world where, like, tribal charms and stuff, they work mm -hmm. because the gods make them work. Yeah. Um, what do you think of the possibility that modern technology only works because people believe in it? See, I have this thought a lot because uh, that's an interesting question, actually. I think that it depends on how you think about belief because mm. modern society only works because we believe it does, right? Um, if you watch the uh, the Purge films, they're a great exploit, yeah. like an exploration of that idea in like a literal sense. Yeah. 
So I don't know if I like electricity yeah. doesn't make any fucking sense. <laughs> um, you know, like you, Wi-Fi doesn't yeah. make sense. The fact that I can call someone in Ireland, I can call Adam in <laughs> Ireland, and we we can work on projects together. Yeah, like it doesn't make Definitely. sense. Yeah. But do you, do you, do you, I mean, okay, I yeah. guess. In the answer- funny thing is when I mentioned this to Ben, he immediately went and he's, he's told this to me before about the, the orcs in Warhammer 40k and how their shit only works because they believe that it works. Oh, the, yeah, the, um, the, um, for those of you who don't know, I'm sure Ben's talked about this in our shows before, but, um, the orc, uh, the orc race in Warhammer, they have like, um, tree trunks and tubes and everything. And because they believe that they're guns, they become guns. Yeah. Yeah. And they paint stuff red and it goes faster. Mm. Because red things go faster. But that's 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 typical fascist thinking, where it's like you have a version of reality that's different from what you have and you're able to like project onto it and deny what's currently happening. So mm. like a good example is you go, I'll, I'll be healthier tomorrow, or like, yeah, I'll have this chocolate bar now, but you know, like it doesn't affect me because it's like I'll oh, I'll do better. And that's that's a classic like day-to-day fascist thinking. Um yeah, I don't know. I I don't know my actual opinion on that because I haven't really delved into into that too deeply. But in relation to this book, at least, I think the idea, even that the the modern technology works because we believe in it. Like I'm like, yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Like the 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 reason that um the if if okay as an example, like if you watch news all the time, like if you watch television news programs, yeah, um, and you believe in the news organizations that exist today. Um, then you give them the power they need to keep doing what they're doing, and it's not like a, it's not like you know, they're, they're, it's not like an American gods where they're leeching off you to fuel their whatever. But like in a literal sense, if you believe in them and you keep coming back to them, you give them your like you right, give you them your give money, give them your watch time and your eyeballs watching their stuff, and crucially your makes attention, them money. Yeah, your attention, right? right? That's the only thing that we have left is currency in 2018 is your attention. <laughs> yeah, which is horrifying because attention is time plus worth that you put on something so if you watch news programs in say australia for instance you would have noticed recently that it's becoming more and more like america where it's sensationalized and they don't really report anymore they just kind of they just peddle shit that keeps you interested so i don't know that technology necessarily works because we believe in it but i think that society the one that we've built in 2018 Mm. works because people refuse to disengage from their beliefs the interesting part is that towards the end shadow basically completely becomes completely unplugged from modern technology where he won't watch tv because media might be there yeah. he won't use phones like he doesn't connect his phone up even like wednesday can call him through a phone that isn't connected yeah like yeah <clears throat> what do you what do you think that kind of says what do, what do you think gaiman's trying to say with that if anything probably and this is a shot in the dark because I haven't really thought much about this. I mean, there's probably something there about the power of technology and how you have to be careful, um, particularly with the media. Um, you have to be careful about what you're consuming and mm. about how that affects you. And uh, remembering this was written in 2001, right? So uh, maybe that's just because Gaiman's a writer, though. So he's someone that thinks about things a lot. Right. Where, like, I don't think he would bemoan technology because his whole relationship with Terry Pratchett was based on their daily phone calls. Right. He couldn't have done that without a telephone. So you have to wonder, like, is he bemoaning the... Ex- he's not bemoaning the existence of, of technology. No, clearly not. But um, it's it's the same thing with, you know, when um, when people say... They bring up, like... They, they say, well, science, you know... Um, science has uncovered things in the atom, which it should not have. You know, they say, oh, well, you know, scientists built the bomb, you know... Um, uh, they, uh, you know, w- w- when people went to Oppenheimer, the guy that built the atom bomb, and they said, "Well, what do you think? You know, that should we should science have done this? Like, we uncovered these <clears throat> these powers in the atom that God never intended." And Oppenheimer's response was, "If God didn't want that power to be accessed, he shouldn't have put it in the fucking atom, right?" Right. And so I think what Gaiman is trying to say is, it's our application of everything, whether it's ideology, belief, technology, um, society, everything has to be tempered with the expectation of what are you trying to achieve and why and actually interrogating that on a deep level and the whole book's fucking point is that everyone is going to try and distract you from that thinking and they're going to try and scatter your attention they're going to try and um the 24-hour news this is just today this is my interpretation today (laughs) of this book 24-hour news cycle it's what did trump say today what did this person say today what tragedy happened here what shooting happened here where are the fires where is this where is that instead of 
what we used to have. And this book proposes this beautifully in one of the um, uh, in one of the uh, the stories written by the um, the cataloger, the Egyptian cataloger, I can't remember his Ibis. name, Ibis. Where he, there's a beautiful story where it's it's a town <laughs> ship somewhere, um, and he describes the process of like someone once a month comes in with news and they tell them the news and the everyone grieves and deals with the news and then the person leaves and the next month someone else comes. It's part of a greater story, but the basic idea is like humans were built to live in small towns. Like our brains are built to live in a town, hear a thing every now and then about the outside world, process it, change our worldview, wait to the next thing, process it, change our worldview, and then kind of grow as people and interrogate the people telling us that news to work out if it's true or not. Problem we have now is we don't process anything. It's just... Bang, 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 constantly oh, yeah, new definitely. information. And I think maybe Gaiman is... I definitely think there's value in that idea. Yeah. Um, particularly from the point where, like, in your sort of modern life, particularly, like, um, the way that we're automating everything, yeah. like, with self-checkouts and stuff, um, it's to the point where we make our own little tiny town with, like, our friends and the people we go to work with mm-hmm. um, and... We like basically don't interact with anyone outside of that. And do you? Th- what do you think about that? Is is that healthy or not? Because like, I don't know. Like, I'd love I to mean, hear your opinion. You cannot really only keep so many people like in your mind and like kind of as close friends at a time. But then, do you? Because I guess the tendency for and I'm going to sound like such a fucking old man. But the tendency <laughs> for young people is to not have any of those close connections, but have a series of short thin lines everywhere and simulate the experience of having that township by having like 27,000 ghosts that you interact with constantly, you know, I or mean, it's your social media or it's your whatever it is. Yeah. Your I Snapchats. mean, like you definitely, you need people to share like things with like different relationships have different purposes. Mm-hmm. Like you have your work friends and you talk about work stuff mm-hmm. with them and what you did on your weekend. You have your partner, like, you might have a partner and you might talk to them about sort of more personal things. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's important too in a different way. I guess my I guess my thought always is that, like, social media has homogenized all of that into being the same kind of relationship because it's the same platform and it's the same turnaround time. And, like, all of that stuff has made it into one kind of horizontal medium of connectivity, right? So in the case of, like, the techno boy, right? It's, like, this constant connectivity. Yeah. But, like, it's not until he actually critically thinks about that level of connectivity that he then confronts Mr. World. The interesting thing is that his friends aren't really his friends. Like, he goes to the middle of America and they don't come with him because there's no internet. Which maybe, like... And that's why I think Shadow as a character, as the middleman, is connected so heavily to the old gods because he recognizes their... the, The, um... The tactile nature of those relationships, right? Um, but at the same time, he he empathizes with the techno boy. Where when he, when the techno boy's freaking out, he's like, actually, like he's not like I. This kid's a fucking idiot. He's like, I just don't have time to do this right now. I need to get some sleep because I got to deal with Odin's death or whatever. Um, so I think there's definitely something there in in what you were talking about with that idea of like belief in technology and all of those things are kind of this into into kind of connected oh, this web. This book has so many themes. You could do like 27 meta readings on this to be Dude, honest. You could. And I might at some point, but <laughs> I I'm just The I've, 27 meta readings you can find in American Gods. That would be a book in and of itself. Um it is so fascinating how relevant it is though. Yeah. And I th- I think that's because those fascist thinking models and those fascist ideologies that in the context of modern life when technology and all that stuff is concerned, they're never outdated. Like there's never not going to be someone who's employing those. Because yeah. it's so fucking easy now. And that's kind of the point, I think, of Wednesday. Is it takes him a bit of work, but for him it's a fucking breeze to put all this together. And it's all it yeah. all comes off without a hitch. He's got a brand grand plan. What he doesn't anticipate is Shadow's wife coming back to life because mm-hmm. of the coin. And what he doesn't anticipate is Shadow himself growing and changing. Right. Cause he to him, Shadow is just this guy that he could manipulate well he's a puppet for his right plan he's, he's like this yeah. guy will do whatever i ask him to or whatever uh, i coerce like, him to yeah. you know i i had loki stake him out um to like see what kind of a person he was mm-hmm. and i think i can control him because mm. i know what he's like so i put his wife out of the picture yep. and gave him a reason to keep going 
Yeah. And the truth is, like, that, that is, like, the most fascist thing of all time. Where it's, like, get rid of, find out the weakness, drill down into it, remove it, and then encourage him to, you know, well, I can fix it with this ideology and this stuff. And yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, I just, this book is, like, so smart and so interesting. And I There's like, so many things. And the prose is so good and it's written so well. And, um, like, if you haven't, if you've read it, even if you have, but, like, listen to the audiobook because I did that as well when I was reading this absolutely stunning like everyone is individually voice acted and it's be- it's beautiful like it's it's mm. just a gorgeous piece of art as well um yeah i really enjoyed this um i don't really have any like clever pithy thought to end on because i feel like we dealt <laughs> we delved through a Look, lot of that anyway there's been a lot to talk about yeah uh, but um, like let yeah. us know what you guys think in in the comments or send us an email anything like that we'd i, I would love honestly like what laura's question about um uh, whether technology works, we believe in it. Like even like as like an existential or a literal question, I would love to find out what you guys think because that's the kind of thing that keeps me awake at night. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, so send us an email, leave us a comment. Up to you guys. Yep. Uh, next month we're covering June, mm-hmm. um, which will be exciting. I've never read it, so I'm curious to yeah. see what I think. Look, um, there's definitely a reason that it's like. A sci-fi classic. Mm-hmm. I'm really excited that we're finally covering covering some sci-fi on this show because, like, yeah, some hard sci-fi, dude. It's good. I mean, um, if you've read my book, you know that I'm into sci-fi, but the low sci-fi, <laughs> not the um. <laughs> Look, this one doesn't go in too hard on. Well, like, there's a lot of like world building sci-fi. Um, yeah, it's one of those ones like you'll find it. It's quite heavy. Um, okay, that's that's good. But, I like heavy. You know. Yeah, I'm excited. Um, otherwise, if you want to just like help support us, we have a Patreon, patreon.com slash DCMworks. All kinds of stuff goes up there. All kinds of behind the scenes content, exclusive audiobook stuff, just updates. Yeah. All, all kinds of good stuff. You can vote on the book that we cover next time. Um, so you can go there and vote each month. Um, I think next month, Laura and I haven't worked out what we're going to put on the voting list, but I think it's going to be probably some more modern stuff if we're doing June. Yeah. Um, we've, and it'll be Christmas time. So we might do a Christmas themed fantasy story. Oh. Um, all I can think of is um, Discworld, because there's a lot of Christmas in that story. <laughs> oh, um, we could do Hogfather. We might do. See, who, see, see so what good. you'll vote for. Um, I would love to cover that. Oh. So you can check us out on Patreon. We're at DCM Works everywhere else, or if you just want to like go to the place where we're at, it's DCM.Works. Um, is where you can link out to all of our other stuff. Um, if you want to just see our regular show, Art for Artists, um, you can find it on our YouTube channel or in this podcast feed. Um, thanks for listening and watching. It's been, I honestly, like, you brought up some stuff I hadn't even thought of. Like, I had a blast today. <laughs> I really feel like I learned something. Yeah, it's been fun. Yeah, it's been fun. Um, if you want to follow us individually, I'm at DC My Hit Pie. I'm at Laura Ducky B. And we'll see you guys next month.